Hello and welcome to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity podcast. I'm Christine Burns. In this episode, we have some more from the recent series of conferences which I organised to look at the gender equality duty and what it means for NHS trusts. As I said in the previous episode, we had a rich variety of speakers, including leading figures from the Strategic Health Authority, the Department of Health, the Equality and Human Rights Commission and a range of community stakeholders. In the last episode, we heard from Karen Moore and Darlene Corrie of the Women's Resource Centre at the Liverpool event. Later that week in Preston, we heard from Peter Baker of the Men's Health Forum. Once again, we'll listen first to what Peter had to say in his presentation. Afterwards, I also spoke to him about the issues he'd raised. But let's hear his presentation first. Uh, Thank you very much indeed for inviting me to um, come and talk to you today. Uh, And I'm I'm absolutely delighted that the Northwest um, SHA is is holding these events. Uh, These are exactly the kind of events that the Men's Health Forum would like to see. Um, because they're critically important to uh, informing uh, people working in this field about what their um, duties are and also how they can begin to uh, uh, comply with them and to take the the equality work forward. And uh, as far as I know, this is the only SHA that's done this kind of thing. So you are to be congratulated and um, I'm delighted to to see you here. What I'm going to do um, very briefly is to talk about the Men's Health Forum. You may well not have heard of us, so I'll I'll say a bit about who we are and what we do, uh, to explain why gender is an issue and to look at some of the health uh, problems, major health uh, conditions, and highlight some of the gender differences that need to be thought about, and then to explain what can be done about some of these. So, the Men's Health Forum itself. Well, first of all, strangely enough, I'm going to tell you what we aren't. We had nothing to do with Men's Health magazine. I'm sure many of you will have seen this in Smith's and other news agents. In a way, I wish we were. I wish we did run this magazine because we wouldn't be a hard-pressed charity. We'd be an extremely, extremely wealthy charity. Um, in fact, we get people all the time ringing us up to renew their subscriptions because they find us first in the phone book. Um, but anyway, we're nothing to do with this. And, in, and I'm actually pleased that we're nothing to do with this because... This magazine does not reflect our view of what men's health is about. To be a healthy man, you don't need to look like that. Uh, Which is just as well, because I'd be out of a job um, if I went around uh, saying that's what healthy men should look like, because I clearly don't. (laughs) But, um, uh, and I think this actually does a disservice to men's health, because it, I mean, women have known this for years, of course. Uh, The... the, um, uh, these completely unrealistic expectations that are placed on us as, as to how we should look and behave uh, don't help us at all. They actually make us more anxious and more dissatisfied. And this does nothing for men's uh, body image and self-esteem and so on. So I think in many ways it, it doesn't help. This is what we're about. This is the reality for men. This isn't me. It could be. But this is, this is the kind of man that we want to uh, engage with. Uh, we want to see this sort of typical middle-aged, overweight bloke, we want to see him uh, given a hand to improve his health. Um, but of course, um, men are a very diverse group. They don't just all look like that. Um, and I think this rather nice picture illustrates the wide range of men that we're concerned to help. Not just you know, white, middle-aged, overweight blokes, but, but boys, young men, older men, men from different, different ethnic groups, uh, all sorts of men. And uh, you know, we've campaigned very hard 
over the years, in the 15 years or so that we've been around, to try and get men's health on the agenda. But men aren't a homogenous group. We're not all the same, it's obvious. And I think we have to think about men in their diversity if we're going to really develop uh, work that's going to make a difference to men's health. And what we do as an organisation is is primarily focus on policy to try and make sure that health policy takes account of of men's needs and gender as a whole. Uh, And we also run uh, health awareness programmes Uh, particularly National Men's Health Week, which uh, takes place in June, and we do research and project work that improves the evidence base for how to work with men effectively, because that's still um, quite weak. So what I'm going to do now is uh, talk about uh, gender and health in a bit more detail. And um, I have to say, and I hesitate to say this in a way to, to an audience of people working in the NHS, But the track record of the NHS hasn't been particularly good uh, when it comes to tackling gender inequalities. Um, There have been some notable exceptions, and in fact there are several in this area. Uh, Sefton, uh, Knowlesley, uh, and indeed Preston in the recent past have all done very good work in men's health that I know about, and um, some of that work in Knowlesley and Sefton is still going on. It's very good. And there's been other good work in Bradford, Southwark and Lewisham. But these these areas of activity are are really exceptions rather than the general rule. uh, And there's still um, a lot of room for improvement. And where gender has been addressed or it is thought about, it's often primarily thought of as an employment issue um, rather than an issue of policy or service delivery. And of course the employment issue is critically important. Several people have talked about the the size of the NHS as an employer. So, of course, in terms of the workforce, gender equality has to be taken very seriously, but it has to be taken seriously for patients and the public as well, and that's the area that hasn't yet been properly addressed. And the gender work, and this has been said by uh, previous speakers, uh, has largely focused on process, internal processes, rather than changing outcomes. So a lot of the gender equality schemes that we've looked at talk about Uh, which committee is going to look at gender, uh, when they're going to do this. Uh, But it doesn't, for example, say, look, we've got a smoking cessation program, men are underrepresented or women are underrepresented, what are we going to do about this and how are we going to go about doing it? That tends to be the kind of thing that's not in most PCT's uh, gender equality schemes. So when we're thinking about gender, um, what are the kind of questions we need to ask? Well, are there differences in health outcomes between men and women? Do men and women use health services with different degrees of effectiveness? And are the the gender differences currently reflected in policy and practice? I'm going to talk about now uh, about these questions in relation to some of the key health areas. If we look at life expectancy, most obvious place to start really, uh, if you look at life expectancy at birth, We know, it's common sense, everybody knows this, that that women live for longer than men. And they are the current figures. Um, Men about 77 years and women 81. So there's about a four-year difference between men and women. It doesn't sound an awful lot, talk about four-year difference, but if you look at it in percentage terms, it's actually a bit more dramatic, where men have a 66% chance of reaching the age of 75 and women have a 77% chance. And in different areas of the country, uh, where there are perhaps particular um, hotspots of deprivation, 
the figures are, are much, much worse. In Manchester, uh, just down the road, which has the lowest life expectancy for men in England, uh, men just have a 50% chance, actually 52% chance of getting to the age of 75. So there are big differences here, and we've got to take uh, uh, social class um, and area into account when thinking about life expectancy um, and these sorts of very broad outcomes. Looking now at some particular uh, disease areas, cardiovascular disease, there are quite clear gender differences. And, and when, I'm, when I'm going through these areas, I'm going to be drawing on some of the work that we've been doing with Bristol University uh, for the Department of Health. It was mentioned earlier we've been commissioned to do a study looking at uh, gender differences in access to health services. It's the first time it's all been pulled together in one document. Uh, it's going to be published, hopefully, uh, in the early autumn. Uh, I'm picking out some of the key findings uh, from that report. Uh, men are more likely to die from heart disease uh, than women, uh, and men tend to get heart disease 10 to 15 years, on average, before women, although women are more likely to die from stroke. And interestingly, there are different uh, symptoms for men and women uh, with heart disease. Uh, the classic symptoms of a heart attack, uh, tightness across the chest, pain radiating down the arm and so on, tend to fit men uh, more than women. So women can present or experience different symptoms, may not realise they're having a heart attack, and they may not be picked up as quickly um, by a health professional. Um, now, if you look at overweight and obesity, uh, men are more likely to be overweight in terms of having a BMI uh, of over 25. Um, the levels of obesity, which is a BMI of 30 or more, are about the same at the moment for men and women, but women are more likely to be morbidly obese, uh, which is you know, the worst kind of obesity. So there are gender differences there. Um, and they're going to get bigger, actually, because over the next 10 to 15 years, um, obesity levels will go up for men um, faster than they are for women so we're men are going to be more likely to be overweight and more likely to be obese as well which is interesting because weight is usually thought of as a women's issue not an issue for men but statistically it's affecting more men than women women and men have different attitudes to weight and weight loss this is very interesting most women worry about over being overweight whether they're actually overweight or not. So you have lots of overweight, of normal weight women who are, who are trying to lose weight. Uh, much greater consciousness, women are much more likely to attempt to lose weight, successfully or not. Uh, for men, it's, it's very different. Men who are overweight are much less likely to perceive themselves as being overweight, much less likely to do something about it. Uh, so you have far fewer men uh, actually attending weight management programs, whether that's in the NHS um, or um, in the commercial sector through Weight Watchers or Slimming World and such like. Um, and also health professionals are much less likely to uh, raise health is uh, weight issues with men, much more likely to do it with women. On mental health, uh, women are much more likely to consult for and be treated for depression and anxiety. Uh, but depression and anxiety is probably possibly or probably underdiagnosed in men. Uh, men are much less likely to go to the doctor and say, I feel depressed. Uh, they're much more likely to self-medicate in the pub or with uh, illegal drugs. And we all know that suicide is much more common in men, uh, three times more common in men than women. Cancer. If you look at 
take all the cancers together, men are much more likely to uh, develop and die from cancer than women. Um, and if you look at the 10 most common cancers that both men and women can get, bowel cancer, lung cancer, stomach cancer and so on, then men are about twice as likely to develop one of those cancers and about twice as likely to die. Um, so these are, there are clear gender differences in cancer and yet men, we suspect, um, delay actually seeking help uh, for cancer uh, far longer than women. Um, and the classic example of that is malignant melanoma, the worst kind of skin cancer, where more women actually get this cancer than men. It's much more common in women than it is in men, but more men than women die. And the only plausible explanation for that is that the men aren't going to the doctor. Either they don't know the symptoms, so they aren't looking out for them, they may be on their backs and they can't see them, uh, or uh, even if they think there's a problem, they're delaying going to the doctor, by which time it's more difficult to treat. And the most common avoidable cause of cancer, tobacco, is used by men and women differently. Uh, we know, historically, more men have smoked, although that's, the, the gap between men and women is narrowing, but men smoke more than women, more cigarettes per day. Alcohol misuse. Well, alcohol disorders are twice as common in men, but binge drinking rates are increasing uh, faster among women, particularly young women. So there are different gender issues there for men and women. Use of services. We know that men are much less likely to use the GP, um, but it's not just the GP, also dentistry. Uh, men are far less likely than women to go for a checkup, uh, and the number of men using family planning services is, is pitiful. Um, women with heart disease are much less likely to be referred to a specialist um, and much less likely to have bypass surgery. And as I've said, men are much less likely to take part in weight management programs. So again, there are clear differences. And the men taking part in, in, in programs doesn't just apply to weight management. It applies to smoking cessation and it applies to the expert patient program as well. Well, when it comes to policy, uh, gender has been largely overlooked um, in policy. Uh, the National Service Framework on Heart Disease ignores gender uh, so does the National Policy on Obesity. In mental health, there is a, a focus on women's mental health, which is excellent, but there's nothing equivalent for men, and alcohol policy ignores women as well. Um, since the gender equality duty has come in, there has been some change in this. Um, and, for example, the cancer reform strategy, which came out at the end of last year, uh, does have a section in it on gender. Which is, which is a very good start, and Mike Richards, the cancer czar, has set up a gender equality uh, advisory group uh, which brings in different stakeholders to help him uh, look at how gender and other equality issues should be dealt with. So we are beginning to see an improvement, but in many, many areas, gender hasn't really been taken into account despite the very clear gender differences. So what do we need to do? What are the next steps? Well, some of these have already been talked about and they're actually a, a legal responsibility, but we do need much better collection and use of data. In fact, gender is actually, isn't, it, a lot of the gender data is there, it's just not used. It's far better than the uh, data on uh, uh, ethnicity, for example. Um, we don't even know uh, at the most basic level what the life expectancy of different ethnic groups is because it's not recorded on death certificates. We know, we know about the life expectancy of men and women, we know a hell of a lot. But we don't, well, the data is there, but we don't, we don't use it properly. 
Local needs need to be assessed for both uh, men and women. Uh, Lewisham um, did a, an excellent uh, review of um, men's health uh, last year. It was published last year. could be a model, in fact, for how to do this, which involved extensive uh, engagement with uh, the local community, both volunt the voluntary sector and also the public uh, generally, people being invited to meetings to share their views and so on. Uh, it was very, very good. But that's a rarity. That doesn't happen very often. So there's very we need to consult men and women or involve men and women. I prefer the term involvement, you're right. Uh, I think we need to do a lot more of that. It's relatively easy to consult women because there are women's organisations. There aren't very many men's organisations, uh, hardly any. Uh, there are perhaps some fathers groups in, in certain areas, but and this is why some people say that men are hard to reach. In fact, men are hard to avoid. I mean, they're everywhere. And I think we just need to be a bit more creative about how we can actually go and talk to them. Um, so with a bit of thought, it's not really difficult. We need to go and talk to men about what they think health services should be. And that's talking to men as men. I mean, we talk to men all the time. Uh, but they're in, you know, thinking about health issues in a different way, as carers, for example, or as, I don't know, uh, people with disabilities but we don't, we don't tend to ask men as men what they think and that, that, that requires a new way of approaching it we need to set gender targets so for example in smoking cessation as I said if men are underusing the service which is quite likely then how do we achieve an equitable outcome how do, we, how do we get men to use that service more effectively and we need to train staff we need more events like this people can't wake up in the morning and be experts on gender it's unrealistic People need to be uh, given some insight, uh, the tools to actually do this properly. It's not just a document that comes out of the Department of Health. They actually need to have a proper part of a proper training program. And it's very important to draw on best practice. Uh, one of the depressing things in, in, in men's health is to see how often when people want to do something, they're making it all up again from scratch uh, because the uh, best practice um, is not collected in one place. The Men's Health Forum does what it can to, 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 get, all information, to get information together. We publish a lot on our website, but, it's, but we're not funded to do this adequately, and there needs to be much more effort in pulling together uh, the information that does exist so people know how to get a kind of head start in doing this work. I want to give a few examples of work we've done in men's health, uh, which, you know, perhaps you know, give some ideas about how you can go about this. One of the things we've been doing over the last few years is producing health information for men that look like car maintenance manuals. Um, and we do this in partnership with Haynes, who really do publish car maintenance manuals. So they design these for us, and it's got their, their brand on it. So for middle-aged and older men in particular, these can work extremely well. And there's a leaflet next door uh, which has got more information on, on this. That's, that's the commercial plug. Um, but these, these are now widely and, and cheaply available on about 30 different health topics. And we use humour. This is a page from one of our more, most recent manuals on men and work. Uh, men like humour. It helps to break down some of the barriers about discussing health issues. Um, you couldn't do this kind of thing so easily with women, but it's very different for men. If you can make health funny, they're more likely to engage with it. We've also, um, uh, this, is, this is about chlamydia screening, and this was a, program, a project we ran 
uh, to try and get young men to take part in chlamydia screening. It was previously thought you couldn't do it. There was an assumption that you can't get men to take part in this because either they're not interested in women's health or they don't, they, they, there was this, you know, men used to believe that you had something nasty stuck down your willy and that's why they wouldn't go near something like this. So what, that's not true anymore because all you have to do is pee in a pot. So what we did was run a program uh, for men in workplaces in the West Midlands which demonstrated that you can get men to take part in, in chlamydia screening. And we didn't say do it because it will make you healthy or do it because it will improve women's health. We gave men a challenge. Go on, put your tackle to the test. And what we did, using posters like this and leaflets, we put little pots um, uh, in boxes that look like aftershave packets of boxes of aftershave uh, and we put this in men's toilets in workplaces and men picked them up in very large numbers, peed in the pot, sent them off, got a diagnosis and the men who were positive um, uh, got, got treated and this made a real difference to the chlamydia screening program nationally which I'll, I'll say a bit about just in a minute. We've recently been doing a piece of work on pharmacy I, was, I said men underuse GP, dentists and family planning services. They also hugely underuse pharmacy services, not just in, going, in terms of going to get the pills, but in terms of actually talking to the pharmacist and getting advice and information. And we've been doing a project with Royal Mail uh, in Leeds and Bradford to see if we can actually use the workplace as a, a setting for uh, encouraging men to, go, to use pharmacy services. And this was a poster that we developed with Royal Mail um, that was used um, in the sorting offices in Leeds and Bradford. Uh, and it wasn't just a poster campaign, it was also um, uh, using, um, uh, what would they call them, huddles. The post office run huddles where the, where the ma line management meet with the staff to talk about issues, usually workplace issues. Uh, but they do health, occupational health issues there as well. So we used a variety of different means of getting this message across. And there was a, one of these little mini-manuals specifically on men and pharmacy, which was given to all workers um, in the sorting offices. In fact, I have to say, if you want to find a way of reaching men in your area, approaching the Royal Mail is a very good place to start. 85, uh, it's one of the largest employers in the country. It's got uh, almost 200,000 staff, and 85% of them are men. And the Royal Mail has an excellent occupational health department which is very open to working with the NHS. So if you have a, a good idea, go to Royal Mail and I'm sure they'll be interested. And I can give you the, the contact of their uh, national, um, uh, national health lead if you want it. And this is, a, somebody else mentioned barber shops. And this is a project that I, I particularly like. It's in Bradford. Um, uh, part of the Bradford Health of Men project which is one of the largest men's health projects there's been uh, and this was taking MOT health checks to Asian men uh, in barber shops uh, in Bradford and it worked incredibly well and also the brilliant thing is about it you could, the men can't run away if they're still having their hair cut and you take their blood pressure there's nothing they can do about it but the thing is they will actually they will do it willingly and this is one of the myths about, about men. They won't go to the GP, it's perfectly true. But if you take the service to them, they're much more likely to use it. And we know this through uh, working barbershops, pubs, with truckers at motorway service stations. Uh, wherever you do it, if, if, it's present, if, it's, if, it's, if they're given the opportunity to access it easily, uh, as easily as possible, if it doesn't involve all the kerfuffle about making an appointment and going to the GP, taking time off work, then men are much more likely to do it. 
And finally, can it all make a difference? I mean, these might all be nice things to do, but can it really make a difference? And I wanted to mention again the National Chlamydia Screening Programme, uh, which has launched this, MEN2, which is a national strategy for extending the chlamydia screening programme to men. It was launched last year. Now, we um, raised uh, the very low levels of screening of men with the national screening programme uh, going back two or three years. And to give them full credit, they've responded to that, they've developed a strategy, they've been talking to the local chlamydia screening offices about how to improve take-up by men, and now we are seeing some local screening offices getting over 50% of screens among men. So it can be done. You can actually get men to engage uh, with, the, with health services, um, uh, even when it's an issue like this, that really doesn't have much health impact on men directly. Although, of course, chlamydia can have a catastrophic impact on women's health. So it can be done, you can make a difference. So I think that if we can um, just be a bit creative about how we do this, start thinking about the gender differences, not trying to do it all at once, but picking out a few areas uh, which need, which you know, can be, which need attention and can be dealt with relatively easily, then I think we can begin to address what has been, and still is, one of the biggest but least recognised health inequality. Thank you very much. That was Peter Baker, lecturing an audience of NHS managers in Preston. Over lunch, I discussed with him what he'd said. We began with a bit more background on his organisation. Peter, you're the Chief Executive of uh, the Men's Health Forum. Can you tell me a bit more about the organisation? The Men's Health Forum is a charity that was set up in 1994 by the Royal College of Nursing, in fact, although it became independent uh, within a few years and was established as a charity in 2001. Um, and what we do is, as our name suggests, is to promote men's health, to try and tackle the inequalities uh, affecting men and boys in, in terms of their health. And we do this through a mixture of um, policy development work, uh, awareness raising and research and project work. Now, you said in your presentation you've, you've highlighted a number of areas where, which perhaps we would have taken before as being axiomatic about men's health, the idea that men don't live as long as, as women, for instance, and yet you're highlighting that now as a, as a health inequality in effect. That's right, and I think in the past perhaps some of this has been view, viewed as somehow inevitable that men were genetically programmed to keel over at the age of 75. And we know that that's not true. There are clearly some very obvious biological differences between men and women that may have an impact on health outcomes. Um, but these aren't the, the only factors. There are um, uh, uh, differences uh, between men and women that, that, that we can change. And that's really the advantage of, uh, or, or the, that, that, that creates the need for comparing men's health with women's health, not to somehow prove that you know, one, is, one sex is worse off than the other, but to actually highlight areas where improvements can be made. Um, so if we see, for example, that uh, women are using a service in, in greater numbers uh, and the men are underusing the service, we have to ask ourselves, well, why is that? It's not be probably because of biology. Uh, it's probably because uh, the way men have been brought up, 
the way they view their own health, the way they view health services, and the way those services are marketed, or more likely not marketed uh, to men and women, which, which creates the differential use. And these are things we can do something about. So you seem to be coming at this from two directions. On the one side, you're actually saying to, to a degree men are themselves to blame for their own health, but also that there's more work we can do in public health within the health service to address some of these issues with them. Uh, I wouldn't use the word blame, actually. I think, <laughs> I think in a sense, I, I think it's true that men, uh, put it another way, need to be more fully engaged with their health. But I think the reasons that they aren't um, are... are not really men's own fault so much as the way they've been brought up, the expectations they have, and the pressures that exist on men's lives. If you think about uh, the fact that most men are in full-time work, uh, we know large numbers of men work 48 hours a week or more. It's actually very hard to take time off to use a health service unless you, you're, in, you're in serious pain or, you know, or you're convinced there's something likely to be very, something seriously wrong with you. So there are all sorts of reasons why men don't engage with health services. So, and what we have to do is create uh, services that actually match uh, men's needs, the way men... Uh, lead their lives so we can actually engage with them more, give them, improve their access to health and improve the quality of their lives. So underlying that really, that's exactly the same sort of message that we've been given to women all these years? Uh, yes, I, mean, I, think, I, think, I think that's right. I think there's uh, obviously huge differences in the way women view their health uh, compared to men. Uh, women are much more um, engaged with health services. They, they use services uh, uh, in adulthood at a much younger age than men, primarily for reproductive health uh, issues. Uh, they're more likely to take their children to the doctor than men. So they're much more regular contact. The health service is more familiar territory for women. doesn't mean it's necessarily well suited to, to women's lives as well, but women are are less hesitant about using it, it is more familiar to them, they're less inhibited. And I think what we have to do is think about how we can not disadvantage women and take anything away from them, but, but, but improve uh, the way that, that men access services as well. And we need to look at things in terms of primary care, uh, like extending opening hours, and that's now beginning to happen but also taking services to men, not just waiting for, you know, sitting back passively and waiting for men to come through the door, uh, because that isn't, that's not on its own um, uh, 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 an effective strategy. And in, in your presentation, you showed some examples of how you can reach out to men. So have you got some good examples of, of successes? We have. Um, we've done some work ourselves. I, I mentioned in my talk, uh, Chlamydia Screening, where we took chlamydia screening kits and marketed them to men, to young men in workplaces. And we know that worked extremely well. We've done other projects which have um, looked at uh, raising awareness of prostate health with men in the workplace. We did this with uh, Royal Mail in, the, uh, in, in um, uh, the West Midlands a few years ago. And we ran a very simple campaign uh, to increase men's knowledge of prostate disease, not just prostate cancer, but all kinds of prostate disease. And we can demonstrate that led to a big increase uh, in awareness. Uh, we're doing a piece of work now looking at the bowel cancer, National Bowel Cancer Screening Program, to try and improve the way that's marketed to men, because we know 
that men are much less likely than women to take part in bowel cancer screening, even though men are more likely to get bowel cancer. So there's a real need there to do something about that, um, and we'll know in a year or two whether we've been successful in, in improving men's uptake, but we're confident that with the right kind of marketing, the right kind of information being sent to men, along with the testing kits, uh, we can improve uptake. So you're demonstrating that there can be successful outcomes and you've got quite a lot of good practice examples already. If there was one message you would like NHS managers to sort of retain as the, 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 the first and foremost priority message, what would that be? That men aren't a hard-to-reach group. I think this is one of the biggest myths around. There's this assumption, uh, of a fatalistic assumption, that you're never going to get anywhere with men because they're simply not interested. Now... What we can demonstrate over and over again is that men do care about their health. There are barriers, both you know, personal barriers for men and, and structural barriers that, that make it more difficult for men to actually seek help. But if the services are delivered in the right way, if men are given the right kind of information and the right opportunities, then they will take advantage of them in, in, in large numbers. Peter Baker, the Chief Executive of the Men's Health Forum, speaking to me at the Harris Park Conference Centre in Preston. Well, there's still more to come on this topic and I'll be featuring some further contributions over the coming weeks. Until then, from me, Christine Burns, it's goodbye and thank you for listening. Just Plain Sense is a Plain Sense Limited production. <laughs>